0: Matthew 27, we'll be looking at uh, the end of this chapter into the first uh, or mid-part of the next chapter, Matthew 57 uh, or 27, 57 through 28 verse 15. As you turn there, let's turn our hearts now to the Lord. Father, we thank you for your revealed word for this life-changing truth that we have in holy scripture. God, would you open our ears and our hearts to be receptive to your truth today? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 if Christ has not been raised then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain that's significant if Jesus was not physically raised from the dead All of this is useless. Our preaching, our believing, it's in vain if Christ is in the tomb. Redeeming Grace Baptist Church is irrelevant if Christ is not raised. From the dead. Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, put it in a bit different way, a bit more positively, but he basically states something similar. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So get Peter's logic here. No resurrection, no new birth. No new birth, no hope. Christ is not raised, your faith is in vain. Through the resurrection, you have hope. Without this event that we come to in the Gospel of Matthew today, everything crumbles. So, as we come to this text today, we are going to look at the resurrection of Christ. And we need to understand that the resurrection of Jesus is not some abstract theological concept, but rather it serves as the heart of our experience as Christians. You don't have Christianity without the resurrection, just like you don't have Christianity without the cross. Both of these must be embraced, and both of these realities, the, the really three realities, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Christ. You take this away from us, friends, and our faith is in vain, and we are without hope. And Paul goes on to say, among all people, the most to be pitied. So as we look at this text today, as we, as we consider the resurrection of Jesus, we are affirming that the truth in which we are confronted with here in chapter 27 and 28 is the foundation of our hope and existence as Christians. So why is that? Why is the resurrection so crucial to our hope? Well, I want to answer that question as we consider several things and several realities that the resurrection affirms. Why is it so critical that the resurrection is there? Why is it so essential that we be built upon a doctrine of physical resurrection? What does it teach us? There are several truths that emerge from the resurrection that reinforce its essential nature in our lives. Let's look at these together. The first thing that we affirm and see concerning the resurrection is that the resurrection teaches us and reminds us that God's purposes always prevail god 's purposes always prevail let 's look at verses fifty seven through uh, chapter twenty eight verse six continuing the, the the narrative here after the death of Christ we pick up in verse fifty seven when it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph who was also a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him, and Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen shroud, and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there, sitting opposite the tomb. Next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests, they never go away, do they? Chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir... We remember how that impostor said while he was still alive, After three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people, He is risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers? Go make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. That guard, by the way, included multiple guards. Chapter 28. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the tomb, to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, come, see the place where he lay. When we consider this narrative in verses 57 through 61, we really have what serves for us as a transition passage. It takes us from the scene of crucifixion and death and transitions us and prepares us for what we're about to encounter in the resurrection of Jesus. This, this scene where Joseph of Arimathea comes and, and takes the body of Jesus. We don't know much, all that much about Joseph except that he was a respected member of the Sanhedrin council. Matthew says he's a disciple. Mark's gospel said he's looking for the kingdom. Luke acknowledges him as a good and righteous man while John refers to him as a secret disciple. Here in a moment of bold compassion, he goes to Pilate and he makes a request for Jesus' body and he buries him in a tomb that's his own. Typically, these kinds of tombs were reserved for the very wealthy. And Joseph takes the body of Jesus, his own tomb that he had, and he places the body of Jesus in this tomb. The reason I mention that is because... These actions are spoken of hundreds of years before they even took place in Isaiah's prophecy. The prophet Isaiah said they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. So even in how Jesus is cared for and buried after his death follows a specific plan that God had ordained long ago. And we read... You keep reading. The chief priests are still not satisfied. I mean, Jesus is dead. And the chief priests still are are seeking to oppose him. And they they still are are seeking to, 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 to destroy him. So they take action. They said, we remember that Jesus said, after three days I will rise. They get it. We'll come back to that in a little bit later. They, they get it. And so they take action, though, to, to, to deceive. And, and so they ask for a guard to be set and the, seal to, or the tomb to be sealed so that his disciples could not come and steal away his body in their thinking. Listen, they continue to do everything they could to stop the plan of God. And everything they did to stop the plan of God Every time fell short. God's purposes always prevail. The resurrection is a bold declaration of that reality. Here's the simple fact Jesus died just as he said he would, and he was raised just as he promised. And there was no seal, no guard, no chief priest or anyone else or anything else that could stop it. A couple of additional truths that emerge from this when you consider the fact that through the resurrection, God is is declaring that my purposes will always stand and nothing can hinder my my plans. We we take a couple of things away for, for our own sake. Number one, it reminds us that we can always trust Him with our present circumstances. Think about the scene here. For the disciples, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary and a few others, It seemed as if all of their hopes and dreams dissolved in the last breath that Jesus took. Granted, Mary and Mary are still hanging around, but not with resurrection anticipation. They are still grieving. They are going, even as they go to the tomb, to tend to the body of Jesus. They had been told ahead of time that it would come to this they had been told ahead of time that Jesus would indeed be raised from the dead but here they are the disciples are nowhere to be found and the Marys are still grieving Friends, we will endure many trials and tribulations in this world, and we will experience pain and disappointment and discouragement. But we must always remember that God is sovereign, and even when things don't make sense, there is always hope. That is what the resurrection is declaring right now, because I've not got to the resurrection yet. We're we're still pre-Sunday. But yet that's how so many Christians live. They live as if it's still Saturday and Jesus is dead. When in fact He has been risen. He has been raised from the dead. Oftentimes we respond to our circumstances just like the disciples. And, and even though I give them credit for still being there, even the Marys as they're grieving, there's no indication that they're anticipating His resurrection. We often respond to our circumstances like they did. We run, we grow discouraged, we forget the promises of God. We lose sight of God's promises when we are overwhelmed with with hardship and discouragement and difficulty. We forget that God has promised to all of us that know Him that no good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. We, we forget the promise that, that he's, he's given us that He will work all things for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purposes. Forget the psalmist that said, those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. What the resurrection does is it reminds us that we can trust God with present circumstances because because He is the God of the living. They were grieving a loss. They were grieving this death and they 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 were just discouraged almost to the point of despair and the resurrection hasn't happened yet. But Christ had told them He was going to raise. The death and resurrection of Jesus we're ultimately a demonstration of the magnitude of God's love for sinners. But it's also a demonstration that we can trust God with our lives. The truth that lies behind all of this activity is, is nothing can thwart or hinder the purposes of God Even death. Nothing. For most people, even the disciples, the death of Jesus just pulled the plug. We can't overcome this one. Second Chronicles 20, verse 6 says, You, O oh God, you rule over all the kingdoms of the nations, and no one can withstand you. Job, in chapter 41, verse 10, says, I know you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Nothing can stop the purposes and plans of God. So we can trust Him with our present because of that. Even we don't see the end, we can trust God and take Him at His word. But we can also trust Him with our future. Resurrection is a glorious and miraculous demonstration of God's promises being kept. I will raise, uh, the body of mine will be raised in three days, and that's exactly what we see in chapter 28. Even death cannot defy the promises of God. What happened in the resurrection was this beautiful demonstration of God's power over sin and death. And that's declared boldly and loudly in this historical event that really took place. But it also lays the groundwork for our future. Paul in Romans chapter 6 verse 4 says this, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead for the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his confidence that we have as believers. No matter what the present circumstances tell us, we have a glorious future awaiting us because the resurrection has secured that for us. Paul again in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 14 says, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. You can trust him with your present You can trust him with your future because God's purposes prevail. It's what the resurrection teaches us. Number two, it reminds us and informs us of God's power to transform. Verse 6 of chapter 28 The angel says, He is not here, for he has risen as he said, keeps his promises. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. Can you imagine? Greetings. What's up? And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. There's no small talk here. There's no, Jesus, what was it like when you were in the tomb? There's an encounter and there's worship. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. There were those who were actively seeking to keep Jesus and his body away from the disciples, but there were others, like Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, who were present there grieving Jesus, and were going to even anoint his body with spices, only upon arrival to encounter a completely different scene than they were anticipating. Again, there's, there's no indication or of any kind of anticipation of an empty tomb. In fact, the other gospel accounts, we, we see that they're discussing among themselves, the, the two ladies, how they're going to get the huge stone rolled away so that they can go in and care for his body. When they arrive, they encounter these guards <laughs> who were frozen like dead men. The angel tells them, do not be afraid, for I know you seek Jesus who was crucified. But he is not here, for he is risen as he said. And listen, in a moment, everything changes. Their disposition changes, their motion changes, their priorities change, everything changes for them when they encounter the empty tomb. A short, term late, a short time later, it's only confirmed as they encounter Jesus himself. Listen friends, when you and I encounter the resurrected Christ, everything should change for us. Note several things here that changes. Number one, when they encounter the resurrected Christ, it brings joy to them. As they encounter the angel, he tells them to go tell the disciples. And and they go with fear. I mean, they're human, right? You you see Roman soldiers frozen with fear. You see an angel that's talking to you. It's just not a normal day. But with fear and great joy. They're rejoicing. They have joy in their, their hearts. Joy is the fruit of our hope in the resurrected Christ. If you go to 1 Peter, you you see that. We quoted one verse of this section. He said, according to his great mercies, caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. Verse 6, in this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Then it goes down to verse 8. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. The resurrected Christ brings joy to our lives. Because death has been defeated. Our sins have been conquered. Number two, it results in worship. We could spend an entire sermon on each of these. Verse 9 the women meet Jesus and immediately they take hold of his feet and they worship him. In a matter of moments, they go from grief and despair to worship. How does that happen? Ten Steps to Preparing a Worshipful Heart. Read this book. It happens because they they had a personal encounter with Christ. And all they knew to do was to worship Him. Friends, I, I could never judge anyone's heart. And if I tried, I would probably miss it. However, Oftentimes, when when we look at ourselves as Christians, you have to wonder, you have to wonder just by how people act and live and worship in a gathering like this, how they conduct themselves, you have to wonder if they've truly, if they've truly encountered the living Christ. Because they look like Eeyore still. He's worthy of worship. And yet, there are billions of people in the world that are radically devoted, radically devoted to bowing before ceramic porcelain images day after day after day after day and have no hope. And Christ has come. He has died for your sins and He has been gloriously raised from the dead so that you can be made right with God. And we barely give God a thought. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. This is not guilt. This is reality. You meet the resurrected Christ, everything changes. Number three, it empowers action. After this, they're instructed to go and tell the disciples. Notice, by the way, this is a side note, but it's important. Notice what Jesus says. Verse 10. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers. The very same ones that had abandoned him in his arrest and at the cross. The very same ones that are cowering in fear. Jesus calls them brothers. He had not given up on them. So the women depart and go and announce the good news of his resurrection. Friends, it just reminds us, and not only in this text, but we're going to get to the Great Commission. In fact, we're going to spend three weeks on it. It's just, we're just going to. Not next week, I'll be on vacation. But the weeks after, just providentially right before we take a mission trip for some reason, we're going to spend three weeks on the Great Commission. The empty tomb warrants us to to action. It demands that this good news be told. The resurrection of Jesus leads us to action. Once the disciples hear the news and they encounter Jesus also, they are changed men. They go from cowards to being heroes. They go from cowards to being bold proclaimers of the gospel, most of them martyred for their they turned the world upside down for the cause of Christ. We'll get much more specific as to what that looks like when we consider the Great Commission. But, but let this be a reminder before we get there that the resurrection changes everything in our lives. It brings us joy. It leads us to worship. It empowers us in our action and what we do. I just ask you, how has the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus changed you? How has it changed you? Is your life radically altered because you've met the resurrected Christ? Or is your life just as boring and plain as it always has been? And self-centered. The good news transforms us, friends. It leads us to evangelism. It leads us to righteousness. I I want you to get this. Why do you fight against sin? Why would you want to pursue holiness? Romans four. Romans four, we're going to see this in verse 12. Romans four, if I can get on the right page, Romans four, it says, in verse 12. We see that Abraham is being justified by faith, and you get over to, to chapter five and In chapter 6, and you see how this is at work. I'm sorry, it's chapter 6, verse 12. And we see this in verse before that. For one, this is verse 7, Romans 6, verse 7. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Amen. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. Don't present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present, them, present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. It leads us to righteousness. Paul says in Colossians 3 verse 1, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. It leads us to submission. He died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised, 2 Corinthians 5.15. Friends, what kind of difference and change has the resurrection of Christ made in your life, or has it? Number three, and finally, God's message endures. The resurrection reminds us that God's message endures. There have been many attempts to to explain away the resurrection throughout history. There's been the famous swoon theory that, that, that Jesus didn't actually die. There's been the no burial theory that he was never placed in a tomb. There's been the hallucination theory. Everyone who claimed to see Jesus was hallucinating. They just got back from Woodstock. The telepathy theory. God sent divine telepathic messages to Christians causing them to believe it to be true people make this stuff up. The seance theory. Powerful spiritualists conjured up the image of Jesus through occult power so that Jesus's followers saw an image of him. Mistaken identity theory. Someone else impersonated Jesus on and on we could go. Here we have the stolen body theory that the, 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 the chief priests conjure up. They're, they're still not happy. You get to chapter 28 verse 11, they're still not happy. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city. So the guard, I guess they thawed out. And they went to the chief priest and said, this is what happened. I want you to get this because this is so easy to miss. This is what happened. Ladies come, the angel, the earthquake, empty tomb. No denying it. Verse 12, and when they had assembled it with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Stop and think about this just for a moment. The tomb is empty. The guards had just told the chief priest everything that had taken place. And get, get this. They don't deny it. I want you to get that. You don't see in this text that they say, no way, that didn't happen. They don't deny it. And Some even suggest that there's strong av- evidence here that they actually believed the resurrection happened. They believe it. They've already said Jesus said that he was going to do this, and they do everything they can to seal the tomb, tomb's unsealable because God's power is so amazing and the tomb is empty all of this takes place and they don't deny it so critical friends they don't deny it but instead of being cut to the heart and crying out for mercy because of this glorious miracle that they had long denied they suppressed the truth and they sought to cover it up lesson you. You can believe in the resurrection and still be lost. These chief priests they didn't try to, to come up with some kind of argument for denial. They just said, we've got to cover this up. And you can be confronted with all the facts And still be hardened. But God's message will continue to endure. His message will outlast any skeptic. His message will outlast any attack or assault or deception. The resurrection is a bold declaration that Christ is alive. Because all they had to do. Their chief priests. They had power. All they had to do is come up with a body. And they couldn't. Some might ask, well, why does Matthew's account kind of end on a negative note? I mean, why don't we just stop at verse... 6. Right? He's not here, he's risen, as he said. Why do we have to... I had this negative report of the guard and the chief priests. Because actually their response, even though they were seeking to cover it up, was actually proof that the resurrection happened. And Matthew was saying to a largely Jewish audience in his gospel, what these chief priests did, and what the rumor they have done is to spread among you, It actually proves that Christ lives. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Friends, there was no such confession. From the mouths of the chief priests. And though they tried to put Jesus to shame. They were the ones in the end. That were put to shame. Friend, what about you? Have you made this confession? Have you declared in your heart. That Jesus. Is Lord. That God raised him from the dead for your sake if you believed and entrusted yourself to that fact and that reality, if you haven't, that is your hope. It is your only hope or you will perish in your sins. Cry out to Jesus and embrace Him and He will save you because He is a living Savior who loves, who loves to save sinners. Christians remember, Isaiah had long predicted Isaiah chapter twenty-five. On this mountain he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. In that day they will say, "Surely this is our God, we trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord, we trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation." Friend, are you glad? Are you glad in this glorious salvation that God has given you? And how does it prove itself? Paul said, if our Jesus had not been raised, our faith is in vain. But later on in that same chapter, he says this. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the hope that's ours in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the work that you have done to save us from sin. We thank you, Lord, that not only have we a Savior that has died for us, but we have a Savior who was raised from the dead and who is at your right hand interceding for us, even as we speak. Lord, our faith is not in vain. And so we give you praise for that. I pray that you would move in the hearts of your people here today, that if there are any who are gathered that have never professed faith in Christ, they they still stand condemned in their sins. God, would you do A transforming work in their lives to bring them to Yourself. Lord, help them to cry out in faith and in hope. Father, help us as believers to live and to act like the resurrection is true because it is. God, You know the changes and things in our hearts that we need. May You move and bring those to pass. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.